I'm Rob. I'm E. And I am Small Professor. You fidgeting like Hal Morris We've been nice and sound guarded Since most death was in Carmen No sweat, watch me Eurostep Wait past his lane like James Harden He West Johnson himself How you gonna be a fucking bird With a million dollar thoughts on how the product is dealt A couple college classes could not give you knowledge yourself I ain't got body shit, that shit is obvious as hell We drive records till the posse is felt And we sign these record deals to put a notch on our belt uh. The crew Nautilus slept on futons to rap for foreigners. My first rap friends are now telemarketers. Uh, they couldn't market themselves. We're like that one fucking knee that tore apart the NFL. Uh, the crew Nautilus, small pro beat, the shit is marvelous. I'm still a rock, South Philly's Adam Harlow. Know that we got you, just know that we got you. There's no man above crew, there's no man above crew. Just know that we got you, just know that we got you. There's no man above crew, there's no man above crew. Small Professor, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Welcome to the next movement. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Glad to be here. We've had a uh, couple members of the Wrecking Crew on so far, so glad to tick another one off the list. Yeah, you got to complete your ciphers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anytime exactly. you can. Well, let's uh, let's just dive in. Smalls, I want to say from my perspective, you are quietly excellent at what you do. To me, your beats contain great attention to detail, so much so that I often suspect that there are things that I might be missing, details, references embedded in the layers that perhaps only you can truly appreciate. I listen to your music and I'm not surprised uh, that you come from a family of musicians. Your production feels like professional musicianship. So I'm wondering, What's your process like? Like, How long does it typically take you to finish something once you started it? It's funny you should ask that question. Um, I know we're not going to talk about Doom yet, um, but that was a question that he answered in an interview, and his response was, um, if I recall, something that, you know, something to the effect of you can work on something forever if you truly want to. Um, things sometimes just need to be abandoned. <laughs> so um, sometimes a beat might take, you know, a couple hours, and sometimes a beat might take a couple months or a couple years. Hmm. Um, it depends. But um, it also depends on what where said piece of music is headed. Um, if it's for, um, you know, somebody else, then... I try to do those as quickly as I can. Usually, um, my music is the stuff, my solo music is the stuff that takes years because I have a slight case of Dr. Dreism. <laughs> just just a touch. Um, most of my rapper friends can, uh, you know, can attest to my, my ways. I'm sorry. <laughs> To all those out there listening. <laughs> well, th I'd like to say that I um, had that Doom interview in mind when I asked that question of you, but I, I have to own ah. up and say I didn't. I'm glad it worked out that way. Do you have expectations placed on you 
when you're working with other people in terms of your timeliness, do they expect you to get things done at a certain pace or they, do they just let you work? Excellent question. Villa Rocca, I'll start with him um, because he uh, and I have the most um, recorded music together. Villa gets annoyed, and I know this, but he also understands that sometimes, well, I'm I'm usually very, I'm trying to be as reassuring as I possibly can. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't work out, but at the end of the day, I think the end result speaks for itself which is why I'm usually like, trust me, trust me, trust me, Mm. you know, even though I'm very apologetic. Yeah. But there is a difference between working with, like, you know, a record crew member, for example. I use him, and I use another recent example, like um, the rapper Rob Cave Jr., uh, formerly known as Spec Boogie. Um, He and I have some music almost done. And I think if it's somebody like, like that hasn't, that hasn't known me for years. Um, we don't have like quite that like friendship kind of built into the musical relationship. I think I pick up the pace a bit. You mentioned Zilla Rocca. You and Zilla released another Career Crooks album towards the end of last year called Never at Peace. A really dope record. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of my favorites uh, from, from last year. I heard Zilla say in an interview that the two of you used Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth's main ingredient as an inspiration. Could you tell us a bit about how that helped get Never at Peace going? Sure. So usually when I'm working with Villa, our collaborations are the product of our some of our like hip hop talks. Like I haven't. I, I'm again Villa. If you're listening, I love you. I saw your text earlier. <laughs> I had a very busy day. I'm not ignoring you. But he texts me music recommendations like when he's at the gym. Like earlier, I think the text was like like an album cover. I forget who the artist was. But he was like, yeah, Queen, you know, Queen's, Queen's rappers need to get at these guys. So, you know, I'll look it up, whatever, because uh, he, he puts me on to a lot of music. Um, he's one of my primary, like, new music sources. I think, again, it's because of the gym. I think he, he, he just... Uh, so he has a, that kind of spirit. Like he, he loves new things, mm-hmm. new finding new artists that, especially you know people haven't heard of. But um, like you know, the, I think he also asked me today, like, what's your favorite like beat off of uh, "Things Fall Apart" by The Roots? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I, when I saw that text, I had to, you know I'm still thinking about it. But um, you know, we'll talk about stuff like that all day. Sometimes. You know, we'll call, you know, we'll have a phone call on like on a Sunday when we have like time to just like go back and forth. And a lot of our um, music ends up coming out influenced by something we've discussed. So I think when it comes to main ingredient, um, my attraction to that as far as being um, a source of inspiration was the way some of the songs were actually had different like songs within the the one track you know p rock is you know famous for his interludes and intros i think um the first p rock and see us move album the intros weren't as focused on being like standalone beats it was more like 
a couple seconds of like a random song and you know just so you could hear like what pete was like listening to i guess that was his way of showing off like hey i bet you don't know what this is <laughs> you know he'll just play a couple seconds and then um you know let it let the the main you know part of the song come in and then on the second album you know he would actually have like a whole separate beat like tucked away at the end of a song and then you know there were some tracks where you know somebody else's you know a, a crew member is like rapping on a beat and then like the beat you know this that part of the song fades out you're like wait that was crazy like i want to hear more of that and then that you know again the main part of the song comes on so yeah. you're like we always you know i i thought that was cool i always thought that was cool so that's pretty much like where the the full the concept of that that part of it came from you may have just answered this question but one of the things i was wondering about is th these there are these changes that happen in some of your beats on never at peace that uh, like struck me i'm thinking of tracks like sp situations and crew nautilus you've got these sinister sounding guitar riffs on a loop but then at mm. certain points like in the last 30 seconds of SP situations or on the hook of Crew Nautilus, it switches to these rather lovely, like bright sounds, strings and piano loops, kind of creating this juxtaposition. Maybe this is where the main ingredient influence is? Um, there's that. Uh, that part of it for me was me trying to tune into what it means to not be at peace. Mm. So, you know, you as a listener, you might get used to, like, a good-sounding part of a song, and then I'll be like, no, I just feel like changing it now. <laughs> I have a short attention span. So that, that comes, that's my interpretation of um, kind of what the title means to me, mm. the title of the album meant to me when Zilla um, came out with it. Yeah, I love that. So I asked you earlier about, expectations placed on you as a producer when you're working on a project like this but what about the expectations you place on yourself do you go into projects like never at peace with goals absolutely every project is different um at the end of the day i think my goal is to live up to my namesake mm. i want to always make sure i have a great uh discography all my favorite producers have like a lot of work you can be like oh man he did you know five albums in you know 2011 like that guy was crazy but i i like that um i'm building uh a strong discography and i always want to try to make sure i always continue to add to it in terms of the process of partnering with an MC to create any given project. You know, I, I imagine that can be an intimate experience, especially if you're in the same room together, you know? So I wondered, you know, for people with people like Zilla Rocca, for example, I mean, you've known him for years at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Despite that, and despite having this history, do you feel like when you are creating something together, there's sort of this moment where you're still learning new things about him or, or anybody that you have that history with or, or somebody that you know of their history. And maybe that just has to do with their creative process. Like maybe you're finding out something new about how they approach, you know, something when you're working on a project together. Sure. 
there's always uh it's always a surprise. Mm. You know, I'll make a beat for somebody and okay, this is a perfect example. Um never answer when it's private. I had one kind of start point in mind for that song. Mm-hmm. And when Zilla sent me the reference, either he sent it out of uh the acapella might have been off. I don't think that was the case or I might have just placed it in a in a at a point where I thought it sounded correct. And when I I remember when I sent it back to him he was like, "Yeah, you got to fix that." I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he was like, "Yeah, my vocals are off." So the way he raps on that song is not the way I thought he was rapping on that song when I was putting it together. That always was interesting for, for me cuz I was like, "So he didn't hear and I think that's the only example of that happening. Cuz I don't um Zilla is um his the way he writes, I, there's not many ways you can like move his vocals around. Some rappers you can do that kind of to like tighten their flow up. Um, they don't know that I do it, but I do it sometimes because I'm a control freak. And um, that was eye-opening, to to say the least. Hmm. Obviously, you and, and Zilla are both native Philadelphians. Zilla Rocco's portrayal of Philly and his lyrics is pretty specific, you know, to like pockets of South Philly. I wonder. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much. How much does your Philly overlap with his? Like, do you connect with his view of Philadelphia? Um, yes and no. I am from the complete opposite of South Philadelphia. Hmm, is that true? I don't know if uh, Germantown would Germantown be counted as the opposite of South Philly. It's pretty different. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. What's Philly and South Philly? I guess they're kind of close, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll I'll claim that yes, <laughs> West Oak Lane in Germantown and Mount Airy. I guess you know I remember once this is a tangible story. Forgive me. I accidentally got on the 23 bus in Chestnut Hill. Um, at that time, that was the longest bus route I think in the country. Wow. Um, <laughs> the, the like the single ride. Yeah. So you go all the way from the top of Chestnut Hill all the way to Broad and um, Snyder, okay. I think. So, you know, I went to sleep, and I, I when I woke up, I was like, where the, this, you know, I'm in high school. I was like, what is this? Where am I? Like, it was a completely different, just everything was different. Um, I eventually moved to South Philadelphia, and uh, that's when uh, Zilla, he and I were a, like a bike ride away. Um, I used to play basketball right up the street from where he lives now. So, um, you know, when when he included South Philly or, you know, it, when he includes South Philly in his, in his music, like I'm very, I'm very there with him. I just also, I have other places in Philly that I, um, you know, I kind of claim, I don't claim South Philly, I should say that. Hmm. No disrespect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was cool. It was cool when I was there. It was okay. I made some very good music there. <laughs> I lived in South Philly for a time, and now when I go back, I'm like, why did I live here? I'm so glad. I'm so glad I got out. I don't know how Zilla does it. Yeah. It would It would be uh, down, down the list of my favorite Philadelphia places that I've lived in. Yeah, but, I, like, 
Um, you know, that's that's not to say, you know, it's not still an amazing, you know, it's still Philly. Oh, yeah. So it's still, you know, <laughs> it still has its own, like, energy and mm-hmm. um, definitely character. So, boy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Right. Clearly, if you listen to Zilla's music, you, you hear about them. Yes. Yeah, I love to visit. I love to visit South Philly, but I'm glad, <laughs> exactly. glad to come home. <laughs> if I'm if I'm kicking it with Z, then you know, then that's perfectly fine. And also, uh, R.I.P. to Tasker House. If anybody from mm. from there is listening, what's what's up? Mm. Um, that was uh, a nice. It was a home full of uh, musicians that my younger brother um, Anwar Marshall. Very, very dope. Uh, world famous, actually, jazz musician. I, I'll say that. I'll give him his full props. Yeah. But yeah, he, he was also in South Philly, as well as uh, groups, I mean, uh, members of the band um, that was living there. So. Okay. Well, shouts out to, to Anwar, your brother. You, you've mentioned him, and you mentioned the track, uh, Never Answer When It's Private, and I had both those things in my notes. I've been thinking about the drums on your beats. They often stand out to me. I specifically remember the first time I heard um, Paul Pierce Stab Wounds from the Blue Edwards project you did with Curly Castro. Just completely distracted by those drums. Same is true for the drums on Never Answer When It's Private on this Career Crooks album. Just so good. Won't be on a rookie deal forever, get my cheddar out the safe. I've been a rapper, somniac, two-door Pontiac, rims gleaming, ragtop, Pontiac, stoic like Connie Mac, cleaner than a Bangkok laundromat. Approach me while I'm trenched up as bad luck. Kiss the spider woman, Charlie Baltimore, stand up. Fan touch my hands, spread the ghost in them. Rums got the coke in them. Shooting dagger flows with the cloak in them. Prostrations, hold my intention. The cop shot the kid, but he won't lose the pension. Senses, used to play the fences. I didn't check my shitty friends, I used to treat the girls like possessions. Regretful, I'm an honest man. My son plays with pot and pants. He gets older playing boxing hands. Never answer when it's private. I keep my business private. I see something, I buy it. I hear a beat, I ride it. Never answer when it's private. I keep my business private. I see something, I buy it. I hear a beat, I ride it. I sometimes feel like I could be convinced that it's live playing that I'm hearing as opposed to a sample. And I've kind of wondered if having a drummer in your family has contributed to the way you produce drums. 100%. Hmm. Uh, I When I first started making music, I was in college. This was uh, 2003. And um, I think I was, this is around the time I thought I was going to be a rapper. I I wrote a lot of poetry growing up, in high school especially. At the time, I was like, well, I need beats, so I'm just going to start making beats. You know, the kind of beats that I would, that I hear when I'm reading my lyrics and, you know, practicing my rhymes or whatever back, back in that time. So um, I was very uh, tuned into the underground scene of that time. Mm. So, you know, that was around when Little Brother had first come out. And, you know, there was, you know, if you remember, the hype machine was like going nuts. And Questlove, you know, Questlove co-signed, you know, it was, uh, there was a fever pitch. Uh, Nice Wonder Beats were, you know, all the rage 
especially because, you know, people found out what he used. I read, you know, some, you know, in some interview, what uh, software he used for his music. So I, you know, I, I've always been competitive in my music. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to outdo Knife Wonder at his own game. Um, so I went ahead and downloaded like FL Studio at the time and uh, Adobe Audition. Mm. And I had a room in my, my mother's house um, kind of set aside, you know, with my computer in it. Originally, you know, that was just where I went to, you know, play my, I think, Unreal Tournament and download illegal music all night. Wow. But that's, you know, where I started um, making my beats at. And eventually, well, not eventually, I think Anwar's drum set shared, you know, we shared a room. So, you know, he couldn't play drums at nighttime. So he would, um, you know, practice during the day, even though I, you know, because I was big brother, I would kick him off when I felt like it. I wanted to make beats, and you can't make beats with somebody practicing their paradiddles behind you. <laughs> right. um, it's kind of distracting. Yeah. So I would stay up all night and, um, you know, make beats up there. But when Anwar and I were in that room together, we would, I, you know, I guess we would take turns sometimes when I felt like it should be nice. But he would explain to me, like, what was, what was going on? Like, well, how can I get my drums to sound like I'm actually playing. Because I, I started off um, using, like, breakbeats. You know, that was a... Uh, I always tried to follow, like, how my favorite producers, like, how they started out making beats, like DJ Premier and P-Rock. They used breaks a lot when they first came out. So yeah. I started doing that. And then, you know, eventually I moved on to chopping drums. And then it became all about, like, single hits. And then it kind of mutated back to manipulating breaks to sound like it was me actually playing. So the like the patterns would be different than how the actual break was in the first place. Hmm. So you might recognize like a certain break, but I've you know moved it around and made it you know do what I wanted to do rather than whatever the drummer was originally playing. So. Um, but there's always been an emphasis on like humanization mm. and trying to make trying to make you know these samples sound like a band played that music instead of me you know adding sounds from four different records. That's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I'm just shaking my head because you've done that. I mean, you've nailed it. I think. Thank you. I try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that my intention uh, comes across um, in that way, because that's honestly all it is. I just I try to sound like, you know, a record that came out already. The only downside to that is, just like the movie uh, The Prestige, the main character was such a good like magician that the crowd was like, all right. I saw what you did, but I don't know, like, it doesn't really look like you did anything. Mm. So with that in mind, now, you know, I'm trying to make things sound like one thing, but then I'm, like, dropping 
I'm dropping whole sounds out. So you're like, wait a second. That's, it sounded like it was one piece, but obviously it's disconnected somehow. How did he do that? Jay Dilla, rest in peace, had a technique where I think, I think this started with him. Um, John Morrison or somebody very knowledgeable, more knowledgeable than I can correct me, but, um, there was a time where he would like throw the whole, he did it on donuts, um, you know, on don't cry. Mm. So he played the sample first. So you're like, okay, I, I hear, a, you know, this is a soul song. Then he puts the beat on so you can hear like exactly what he did. Mm. You also play around with different time signatures, which I think is really interesting too. You talked about the person that influenced this. I think it's a jazz musician. Can you remind me who that was? Uh, that would be Dave Brubeck. That's it. Yes, I heard uh, Take Five constantly played my mother. That was one of her uh, standards. <laughs> mm-hmm. She played a lot of, um, I forget the name of the radio station, jazz station. Um, RTI? Yes. Mm-hmm. I knew you would correct me. <laughs> I was waiting for the assist. Um, but yeah, she um, she would play that a lot. It all It just always was attractive to me. Mm-hmm. The quirkiness of it, the unexpectedness of it. You know, I was just always fascinated by, you know, when I noticed those things happening in, in, in rap music. Mm-hmm. Um, a Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, I think has like two or three six-bar loop beats. There's lyrics to go. There's electric relaxation. I thought there was one more. I'm forgetting. But stuff like that, just so cool. It just was always so cool to me. Yeah. That's where that comes from. That's definitely, you know, my mother definitely speaking uh, <laughs> her uh, her loves that, you know, James Brown was a, a big part of my household growing up. So mm-hmm. that makes its way in there sometimes. Yeah. It's kind of funny how that happens, how much influence our parents' music. Oh, yeah. Sort of, yeah, plays on, yeah. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse. That's true. <laughs> I occasionally find myself singing an Alabama song in my head, and I'm like, ugh, wish that hadn't been I didn't drilled like, into I didn't me. like my dad's music growing up. Really? What did he listen to? Uh, he listened to, like, Steely Dan and, like, Spyro mm. Gyro. Mm. <laughs> I was like, Dad, this is... <laughs> You're not feeling Steely Dan? That, okay, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. I, I'm glad you asked me that because I actually just was talking to him about um, "There's Doom Again." What's the song on Operation Doomsday? Gastros. Yes. Great, great flip of that Steely Dan. But I, I distinctly remember my father having that song on one day while we were on our way to church, and you know, Steely Dan's. You know, the song is has lyrics in it about, you know, you were high. <laughs> he was like, okay, let me uh, explain what's going on in this song. <laughs> so Anwar and I were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Before we started recording, you said that you had just come off a 12-hour shift. So I, I'd heard you talk yes. about your career before and how music wasn't your primary source of income and it sounds like in hearing you have that conversation 
you prefer it to be that way because it gives you a sense of freedom. But I'm wondering what the balance is like for you, how and how you maintain it. Do you find yourself distracted by one when you're engaged in the other? And and I'm sort of asking that because I do that. Like I, you know, just sure. this for this, for example, like doing a podcast. There are times when I'm mm-hmm. at work where I'm distracted by, you know, doing research and so on and so forth or vice versa. So I'm just wondering mm-hmm. what that's like for you and your day to day. I keep mine very separate. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I understand that, you know, I have the day job because I have children and they need things and, you know, that's important. So, right. and I also, the idea of being a full-time artist never appealed to me. I always felt like I was going to have to, because I, I already do it, because I do make money off of music. That's actually, you know, I would, I'm getting, I'm trying to get used to actually calling it a job, because it is a job. Mm. Right. Um, so it not being my primary source of income does give me a measure of, like, all right, I don't have to, like, do things I don't want to right now if I don't want to. Right. I do have things that are pressing <laughs> all the time <laughs> that I'm not doing. But, you know, if I just feel like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, make 10 beats and put out a tape on Friday, I can do that. Mm. Instead of it being like, all right, I have to do this and I have to do that. So I've just always preferred to have it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, we've, I mean, we've had folks on the show who who can attest to that as well and, for me, I mean, I'm not an artist, but it just seems like you'd be a little bit more free to set your own pace when that's the case versus, you know, if this is how you bring home the bacon, you Mm -hmm. have to go on tour, you have to drop this and do this project. And I think you sort of see that with independent artists putting out a lot of projects in one given year and so on and so forth, because the pressure is sort of on in that way, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Mm hmm. Absolutely. I just never wanted to, because, you know, if you're handling like your own music, then that means you're sending email blasts sometimes. And, um, you know, you have unanswered interview questions in your inbox. (laughs) Not talking about myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, that's, you know, that's, related to music but like i don't hate doing that stuff sure don't like doing it now i have to do it more no thank you i'm yeah. good <laughs> now if i could just have you know if i could make enough money where somebody could do all that stuff for me um like uh somebody's uh who was that on twitter that other day that said they hate sending stems they can't wait till like they ha- they can pay somebody to do that Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, that would be amazing. Like, oh, I'm done with this beat. Here, uh, assistant, bounce this down and bring me more records. <laughs> In the sandwich. <laughs> Please. You know, you can always advertise for an intern. I could. Yeah? I, I could. This is reminding me of a song on Never at Peace, You've Got Mail. I think that's the one where... Zilla's that's like, exactly what that song <laughs> yeah Zilla says i didn't start rapping to send emails mm-hmm. but that's what i'm doing yeah 
Don't, you know, it's necessary, but it's... I do enjoy writing to a certain degree, but when it starts feeling like I'm doing homework, I'm like, oh, man, I just want to put beats out. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about the series because it was really fun for me to just dive into this. There's so many collections within this John series and it was so fun to to listen to them but also like associate the the content with the person who, you know, graced the album cover. So like for example, I think one of my favorite ones is Nasty John's too with Blanche Devereaux on the front. Uh, I'm a huge fucking Golden Girls fan. So that was just, I mean, yeah, I just loved every minute of it. But it was just, I just think it's so, it's such a creative thing. And I love it. I love the concept. I mean, the beats are obviously great. I just wondered, was it fun for you to create these? Oh, yeah. I consider myself a collage artist. Mm. First and foremost, kind of stole that from, well, I think Madlib like considers himself like a DJ first. And you're like, what? But um, I feel like that's a more apt description of what I do because the medium, you know, can change. But the act of like putting things together that were very separate and have, you know, vastly different context has always seemed very cool to me. And, you know, it's its it's, its own, like, skill set. Yeah. Like, um, you know, there are some musicians that are amazing at, like, playing other people's music. Mm-hmm. And then there's musicians that are, like, amazing at, like, making things up. So, you know, some people are really good at collage, and some people are really dope at, like, charcoal. You know what I mean? So... Um, that being said, um, doing album covers um, and using, you know, just whatever I can, like, find online has always been, like, fun for me. So that's where that comes from. And also, I always thought it was important to, like, to do things that, like, follow a theme. Mm. But you might not realize, like, what's going on when part one, you know, part one drops, but then... It's it's been very um, rewarding for me to you know hear people like yourself say you know they had a lot of fun like diving in after the fact like I, you know a lot of that music now is um, even though the time is non-existent that was a whole different era, you know period of my like I it's just, there's a there's a year where I'm like before this year I was like you know still a Padawan. After this time, like, that's when I'm like, all right, well, if you listen back or when I listen back, I'm like, all right, I know I was, like, very good at 
what I do at this point. So some of that music, when I hear it, I'm like, oh, like the early Johns. I'm like, oh, man. And it, honestly, it's mostly like mix related because I have usually tried to engineer my own music to varying results. Sometimes I get compliments about my mixes. And I'm like, really? <laughs> From people that, you know, are actual engineers. And then sometimes I don't. Mm. And I hear my music from back then. I'm like, well, that's, you know, if I could do that again, it would be very different because I, you know, have more of an idea of what I'm doing in that regard now. But, yeah, I'm I'm very glad that um, a John Supreme came out. Um, that wasn't my idea 100%. Zilla and Castro both, well, they actually came to me together a couple years ago. I was like, yo, you should put all the joins out on a tape collection. And I was like, that's a, actually a pretty good idea. And eventually Matt Diamond <laughs> came and, you know, made sure it happened. So, I love it. Um, but all those, you know, so that, so that was the best of, or, or at least it was Matt Diamond's, like, picks out of kind of what I whittled down. Mm-hmm. from across the years and also um it was mostly music that i had access to like the original files for so there's mostly stuff on there that i'm not like Ugh, i want to mix that again and um it, it became its own um you know entity do you have a favorite one no <laughs> no <laughs> absolutely not they're like your children okay. you love them yes, equally that is Got I it. can't. I will not even attempt. Okay. Um, but you're gonna twist my arm <laughs> violently. I would not disagree with myself if I said Prince Jones. Mm. That one was both an exercise for me. It was a. It was in a series of um, that. Uh, Chicago Jones and Queen Jones mm-hmm. were all using like whatever band is in the title. So um, that was like my version of the Mad Lib and you remember like Be Conducted in India. Yeah. And then Oh No also did like some region themed like beat tapes. Other, you know, and other people have as well. But um, it was cool to me like, you know, to challenge myself, like, to focus on, like, one one band or one artist and see, like, how I could interpret their um, their stuff. Mm. But that one, um, that one was unique because I think that was around the time when he had passed away, and I was listening to so much of, you know, his music, and I was like, yo, I should try this. Um, Black Milk did a ape called The Color Purple, if I'm not mistaken. Very amazing collection. So, um, you know, this was like my my try. But there's a lot of different um a lot of different styles on there. And I always try to live by that, you know, that Wu Tang like sample. I have so many styles, forgive me. <laughs> Black milk makes me think of Curly Castro. Oh boy. <laughs> I love Curly so much. Shout out to Curly Castro. Healing to him in good vibes. 
Yes, yeah. indeed. Um, yeah. I love him so much. Curly, I love you so much. Hmm. He has some of the worst producer opinions <laughs> in the history of personhood. Um, it's between that and his feelings on Knotts. Um, Knotts is a deity to um, people in my field. Yeah. No, no Knotts slander over these parts <laughs> or black milk. So yeah, let's talk about Blue Edwards, the joint that you did with Castro. I think you dropped this in 2020 and I love this project. Yes. And it immediately read um, that you two have great chemistry when I listened to the album and it feels natural. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if, if you think this is because of the existing relationship that you have with him, or do you think it has more to do with your creative styles being compatible with one another? Both. Okay. Yeah, it's both. Um, though, like the crew albums all kind of feel that way to me because they were done after I had like known these men for, you know, more than seven, eight years. And, you know, Prem Rock is next in that regard. But yeah, it, and it's this kind of the same thing, you know. Um, I would be over. I think I was over Castro's house a couple times, and we, you know, we're like exchanging like musical ideas in that way, sending, you know, uh, we should do, a, you know, our version of this. And um, the concept for that project, I think, came from Castro rapping over a beat from Slow Bus, uh, Winter Leaves Part Something, and. Um, you know, that ended up on a project of his. Um, but the the song, you know, is, is um, kind of uh, has a triplet feel. And the way he rapped to it, when I heard it, I was like, wow, you really, like, tapped into, you know, how I heard that rhythm and added your own, you know, your own kind of instrument to, mm -hmm. to the song. And I just always thought it would be cool to do a project with, the majority of the beats having like weird time signatures. Mm -hmm. So he was um, my, like who I had in mind to like do that with, because I knew he would like, he would be able to handle anything I could throw at him. The project took a, you know, it took a, a few years. I think all his beats were done. I want to say, I'll forget when we started that. I do know that, it took like you know two two years. A lot of it was him trying to figure out you know these these rhythms. Um, but when we had the lockdown in 2020, he was like, "Yo, while you know while we're home from work, let's just you know finish this bad girl up." And I was like, "Yep, yeah, it was about that time." So finished it and got C Money Burns to lend his uh, magical ear. Make sure we're, our levels were correct, and then you know we dropped it later that year. You know, I think people got out of it exactly what we intended. So mm. um, that that project is a standout for me. Mm. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's incredible. Yeah, and I was listening is, to think... you guys talk about it um, on Call Out Culture, and oh, yeah. just just hearing Castro's sort of routine when he's in the studio he sounds like he's the, no nonsense like when he's in the studio and he's working on a project he's in there to work and that's it so it just sounds like he has a really 
like strong worth ethic in that regard, and, which I, I didn't doubt, but I don't know. It was just interesting to hear him talk about that process and how he doesn't really treat the studio as a, as a hangout spot. I mean, he's in there to no, do some he, work and he puts in the work when he's very there. serious. Yeah. Very serious about that. I really so. appreciate it hearing that background. And did you and, and Castro come up with a concept together? There was a split, I think. I think I did have the idea, like for the, I think he came up with the title and, um, you know, the imagery associated with everything. But yeah, I think musically, I think that started with the idea around, you know, having like uh, C. Money Burns again, um, shout out to him. I think he, he mentioned to me that he, he thought a cool name for it was like silly, you know, prog rap. And I was like, man, that's a, you know, that's exactly what I was going for. Well, sh- shout out to both of you. This is, it's definitely something I missed in 2020. So I was really excited to find it and, and hear it. I listened to it a couple of times this week, and I just think it's perfect from start to finish. Nice. Smalls, I feel like we can't move on without bringing up 86 Witness. It certainly stand out for me. One of the things I've always wondered about this project, about 86 Witness, is um, in regards to the guest verses and how they ended up on the project. Was Sean Price involved in choosing the guests, or was that something that came later? Yes, some of them he picked. Um, I think Quelle, he picked, and picked your old Droog. It was definitely uh, definitely, uh, P. I think the other guest appearances were added after. Um, We were, you know, trying to flesh everything out. So, you know, we were reaching out to people that, would make sense that they would be on there so it wouldn't feel like it was after the fact i think you know you wouldn't know that if i didn't tell you hopefully at least that's what it feels like yeah when i listen to it i'm like oh this sounds you know i honestly can't remember who you know when these verses were added mm. sounds like one thing so you know that's the goal i i think i heard you say in another interview that Initially, the idea for that project was to have like your respective crews come together on the album. Is that right? Um, yes. I always liked um, Mad Villainy in that respect. I guess um, that's more. I kind of feel like Doom being in like Mad Lib's house. Yeah. So like there are Mad Lib associated guests on there. But yeah, I always liked the idea of you know us you know, our world colliding in that way. World colliding. (laughs) All right, let's talk about Doom. There's only one beer left. Rappers screaming all in our ears like we're deaf. Tempt me, do a number on the label. Beat up all the MCs and drink them under the table like it's on me. Put it on my tab, kid, however you get there. Foot it, cab it, iron horse it. You leave it on your face, forfeit. Across the mic, hold it like the heat, he might toss it. Told her, tell him they stole it. He told her he lost it. She told him, get off it and a bunch of other more shit. Get money, DTs be getting no new leads. It's like eating watermelon, stay spitting new seeds. This the weed, give me some of what he drooping off. Soon as he wake up, choking like it was hooping cough. They grouping soft. First hour at the open bar and they trooping north. He went to go laugh and get some head by the side road. She asked him autograph a derriere red to wide load. This yard bird tastes like fried toad turned love villain. Take pride in cold words. Crooked eye mold nerd geek with a cold heart. Probably still be speaking in rhymes as an old fart. Study how to eat to die by the pizza guy. No, he's not too fly to skeet in a 
squeeze her eye, and squeeze her thigh. Maybe give her curves a feel the same way she feel it when he flow with nerves of steel. They call her super when they need their back on plumbing fix. How is only one left? The pack coming six. Whatever happened to two and three? A herb tried to slide with four and five and got caught. Like what you doing, chick? Don't make them have to get cut in like truancy. Matter of fact, not for nothing. Right now, you and me. Every episode, we ask our guests to pick. Uh, what they might define as a classic or influential record. And tonight we're talking about MF Doom and we're talking about mm, food. And typically we start out by asking our guests to to explain why. Why are we talking about this album? But I'm going to forego that uh, this time around and ask a small professor to just start off by telling us what you remember about first discovering or, or listening to this album. So, um, I want to shout out two people for um, helping me pick this, and both of them are my coworkers. Um, one of them is Daniel, shout out to Daniel, and one of them is Damir, shout out to both of them. I was like working with uh, the first person, Daniel, on something, and you know this was a, a coworker I hadn't really like hung out too much with so you know we're just like talking about random stuff and we started talking about music or i think something played on his phone that made me go like wait a second you listen to underground hip-hop right he's like oh yeah <laughs> so we started talking about doom and uh food is his favorite doom project so he kind of got like in the last this happened in the last couple weeks um, so he had me like listening to, uh, that album a lot recently. And I was like finding all these like things. I, I won't say I forgot, but maybe I'll say I didn't appreciate, um, the million times I've listened to it. Hmm. Um, I also shouted out Damir because, uh, he and I talk about music all the time. He's one of my favorite coworkers. But he has some terrible, like, takes because he's 26 and he doesn't know anything. <laughs> but he thinks he knows everything. Uh, you know. Yeah. But I love him, though. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, he listens to this episode like I told him. <laughs> and he, you know, he he learns why this person that he might not know or be aware of is such a beloved, you know, figure in our corner of you know, rap music. The Doom is pretty famous for, you know, a non-mainstream artist. I think that that's a fair, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, pretty pretty famous dude. Like, that mask is, uh, that's on sneakers. It's on, <laughs> he's got figurines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a pair of slides today that had the mask on it. Yeah, like, but what was the, question that i was supposed to answer first that i didn't <laughs> uh what do you remember about first discovering or listening to this album? oh okay that's easy shout out to one more person matt lutchman hmm. shout out to him one of my uh roommates from back in the day um he actually put me on the doom this was 2004 so he would play he would play operation doomsday a lot i think um food came out later that year. So he was kind of playing like all, both of them together or maybe like songs from this one. So I remember hearing one beer in his car. He would uh, drive us to work 
and play like you know random stuff. So he put me on that and uh, Matt Villainy as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I first heard it in like I said, 2004 when it came out, and that was you know that was when Rhyme Sayers was like you know they were you know putting out a lot of great like projects. Um, there was uh, the Blueprint stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that came out around that time period, 1988. Of course, um, you know, Atmosphere. But, you know, the album cover, of course, was um, memorable. Um, I didn't really know, you know, it took it took a long time for me to, like, understand, like, what was going on on this album. I'm still even, you know, preparing for this uh this talk i found out some things i like i said I, you know i either i was reading the lyrics and i'm like wait a second that's what he meant when he said that like mm. i didn't you know i didn't really put you know two and two together on certain things and then you know there were things that i you know i already knew about that i loved that um i just you know gained a uh, newfound appreciation for one of the things I, I was going to say, one of the things that I enjoy about uh, your social media presence are the posts you make about specific album anniversaries, things that you love, notice, appreciate about that album. Uh, for instance, uh, mm. one of the more recent ones that I caught was 15 things about Hell Hath No Fury on its 15 an- 15th anniversary. Um, mm. So um, I'm not expecting you to come up with a long list of things that you, you may love, notice, or appreciate about uh, food and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot and um, it's not an anniversary oh, or anything I, but I wonder if you could run down some of the things that you that you love no. or notice about the album absolutely I, I, I kind of did my homework I'm ready okay okay you know I kind of have like I said I have a little mental mental list um the first thing uh that sticks out to me about this record is its structure which I find to have been, you know, it's not everybody's uh, favorite thing that there are four, like, instrumental tracks right in the middle of this amazing rapping. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen people complain, but especially, like, as I've been um, reading about this album and uh, listening to it, I grew to appreciate, though, that uh, structure so much because if you think about it, like, the way Doom raps is so layered and there are so many rhymes that it almost feels like he's like, I gave you enough rapping on <laughs> tracks <laughs> one through like six. Like we need a commercial break. <laughs> it's almost a kind of want to call it a circle. Um, it's almost kind of shaped like a donut. He has, um, you know, beef rap. It's kind of like half and half. There's, It's half like instrumental with the, you know, it's got like three skits to set it off. You know, there's like, you know, the music and uh, the doom samples like in the beginning for like a minute. And then, you know, he just bars out for like the last, you know, two minutes of the song. So, you know, you have that and um, whole cakes through, I think, poop putt platter mm-hmm. is you know kind of traditional or as traditional as doom is going to get like rap songs and then like i said you have no it's 
Poopa player is part of that. So one, two, three. So Con Carney is where, you know, he kind of, he's like, all right, I'm back. Right. And then, you know, that kind of continues till you know, cookies. I just found, I just find that such an interesting concept because, you know, there is a potential for like your listeners to be like, like, where's the rapping? I, I was watching, <laughs> I was watching, um, somebody like somebody's reaction video on YouTube and they had beef rap on and they're like sitting there like listening and they're like, all right, you know, I'm waiting for the, the rhymes to start. And it, it was like right as they were actually about to get annoyed, Doom like starts his verse. <laughs> and after that, they were like, well, that made up for that. Like hmm. slightly, you know, exaggerated uh, intro. Because it is a long intro. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a very long intro. Yeah. So, um, but I always, I always liked that one. Don't think I always loved like the the skits in the in the mill but when i started researching like the samples you know and i found out where everything was coming from i was like you know this is kind of like amazing to me that he you know thought of this and executed it so well with all these you know different what was the uh the one electric i think it's electric factory sample of the guy you know that's in the forest like i don't have a lot of companies <laughs> when i do I saw that, you know, I saw, I actually saw the the video of that and I saw what the guy looks like for the first time, like in a couple of days ago, I was like, oh my God, that's where that's from. <laughs> um, and it just kind of like made me fall in love with that whole sequence even more. Well, yeah, there's that the beef rap is amazing to me because mm-hmm. the way he sampled the, um, I think that's like the Spider-Man, you know, like at first, you know, there's the the one kind of like laid back sample, and then it just kind of kicks up, and you're like, you know, that's all from like the dialogue and the music is all from the same place. He did this thing where he would sample dialogue that had music in it hmm. over top of his beats, <laughs> and it never sounded like a you know in the DJ world they call that a train wreck. Yeah. Like when you're mixing two songs and like they're out of completely out of line and it sounds like, you know, madness. Right. But, you know, you know, whether it was just his ear or being good at like EQing, you never got the sense that these, uh, these two pieces of music, like that were, you know, he's, he focused on the dialogue. He's not worried about the, the, orchestral stuff that's going on behind the sample so much but it never sounded like it wasn't supposed to be like that even though obviously you can tell it's two things that are kind of sitting on top of each other whole cakes the beatbox sample Hmm. is utterly ridiculous to me (laughs) (laughs) i just when i first heard that um the the source i was like how did you think to loop that? Which it's is like just it's like classic Doom, right? I mean, he does that yeah, all the time. Supersonic. Like, where, where did you get that? Mm-hmm. Like, how many people heard that song and did not sample the beatboxing? Right. Like that's the stuff I think about. And then 
he uses that with the Anita Baker mm-hmm. that has drums in it going as well. <laughs> but you've got like these two, you know, kind of rhythms going on, but it, and it sounds awkward, but it's like very singular. Mm. And, you know, it was just like so original. Mm-hmm. Is so original, I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, he kind of repeated that uh, formula on um, Con Carney. Mm-hmm. And um, that track kind of um, is a favorite because of the, uh, again, because of the beatbox sample. Um, I kind of tried to pay homage to that on um, A6 Witness. Latoya Jackson. On Latoya Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. When I was when I made that beat, I had been listening to you know Sean Price, like nonstop. And around that time period, he he was kind of reminding me of Doom. And one time we talked on the phone, and you know we were like sharing our like love for like beatbox samples. So, you know, I I was like, okay, well that seems like it makes sense. Like I wanted to flip that um, that sample in my way, and I you know I also have a connection to. Just Ice because he and I share a birthday. Hmm. I always thought that was cool. And, you know, of course, the track came out in 1986. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, again, it's always good to complete your ciphers. <laughs> you can't. Darker than the East River, larger than the Empire State, where the beast who guard the barbed wire gate is on the job, not my fate. Tired of the wait till the villain bring deliverance from the dire straits, fire at a higher rate. Why they make the liars, flyers scatter by a plate, isolate the wires. Try the straight pliers, if not the vice grips. A real price saver way to acquire nice whips. What a steal for real on wheels of steel. Stunner, a fun of summer, number one meal deal bummer. A bizarre phenomenon is your armor on. Take your cash, comma, or break your fast Ramadan. Transaxon drama, oh, come on, Barney. Clack, clack, pardon me, whack, rap, concarney. He came to feed the children's like Sally Struthers. After that, he's going back to Cali Wisdom. Wilder than the Nile, hold power like the Great Pyramid to Giza and stay leaning like the Tower of Pisa. Give him something he can feel that's softer squeezer. Roar with the pen and on the mic off the heezer. Deep Fry Friends samples not one but two songs that are titled Friends. Well, the, the main sample is Friends and Strangers, but of course there's the Houdini. So you have, you know, you have layers to these um, these beats because the song, you know, of course, is about friends, and then you have the sample sources that were about friends in their own way, mm-hmm. friends and strangers, to add, you know, which is a topic that Doom kind of touches on in the song. I also want to say, um, before I forget, that listening to this album a lot recently, one word I would use to describe it is cartoonish so doom's actual you know like his style of beats um you know like the way he programs his drums i always found it to be like in a very good way like you know very exaggerated like where you know i personally i try to make my drums sound like you know a drummer doom was kind of doing the opposite. Like he was coming from a very like drum machine programmed, but you know, very wholly unique to him. His, uh, you know, the way he plays 
you know, test his patterns out. But also cartoonishly violent sometimes. <laughs> Doom is rapping about very gangster ass topics. Yeah. This whole album. <laughs> the first song is called Beef Rap. <laughs> what is he rapping about? Yeah. Whole cakes. Rap snitch canicious. Mm-hmm. You could take all these same topics and make like a completely different album, but the topic, you know, the the topics would be the same if it was like a Fifty Cent album from like 2003. Yeah, I was listening to this today and thought, you know, of all the comic book influenced MCs that are out there, Doom by far feels like the only like comic book character MC, particularly on this album. Yes. Yeah, he was really like leaning in to that that persona. Like this was like, you know, Operation, you know, the follow-up to Operation Doomsday, but I just found this to be like, he had really figured out like, all right, this is like the villain, villainous uh, angle. It's funny. One beer. Yeah, go ahead. One beer. Um, One beer. I cannot imagine hearing that beat, like figuring out how to rap over it. Hmm. It's kind of before it's time. Um, I don't think in that, I mean, I guess Madlib was kind of always doing beats that had kind of like their own drums kind of doing their own thing already. But, you know, what I'll, I'll say without the drums being like a prominent, you know, part of the, the song. But if you listen to how Doom flows on, he kind of rides, you know, the drums really well. He kind of stops and pauses and, you know, stretches his words like, with along with how the drums are. So I just realized that you can't see me, so you can't tell if I'm done talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is true. Mm. You might need to make like one of those sounds like the old like, <laughs> like Ding! Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about the structure of the album earlier and how people are not really thrilled that there's all these you know breaks in between his lyricism it kind of reminded me of being at a restaurant and and being served like several meals throughout a course like you're not always eating do you know what i mean so like there's going to be moments when you're kind of sitting and waiting and and like sort of observing things around you and that's what the, that reminds me of. Or the opposite. Like, you're not always talking. Sometimes you're everybody's eating. Well, that too, yeah. I felt uh, a similar... Like, when I, I remember first hearing this album and kind of being annoyed by all the, like, dial, <laughs> dialogue samples and being like, what is going on? Like, where is the... Like you were yeah. saying, like, where's the rapping? But the, the longer that I've, uh, you know, listened to this album, the more I've come to appreciate those like instrumental pieces in the middle and the layers that they add to the project. It's just a, such a deep commitment to the concept on this album that those it, it tracks bring is. through. Yeah. From the, you know, like I said, from the titles to the, you know, the, just the idea, like this is a, uh, you know, this, this is a sample of somebody talking about having like a cooking show. Yeah. And then he found samples to kind of like go around that. And I think, um, you know, he talks about this in his Red Bull um, interview 
where he's wearing a Cosby sweater. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you ever mm-hmm. notice that? Yeah. yeah. That yeah. Always, like I came, that brown sweater. I was like, I was watching that like last year and I was like, wait a second. I think I saw a picture of it. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, he talks about that because I believe the interviewer asks, I think that might've been the question of like, how long do, do, do these type of things take? Um, and he basically was just like, you know, uh, just gotta look until, you know, I, it sounds complete. Like it's nothing more to no more spaces to put things, but, um, to have all these different sources that all still relate to either they related on their own or he made them relate to what he was trying to do. I oh, thought man. it, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're good. You're good. I just, I... um, thinking out loud. <laughs> I thought it was interesting in that same interview. And I think that I'm pretty sure they were still talking about mm, food, but he was saying about, I don't remember how they got on this topic, but he was sort of saying, you said it earlier when he was talking about, you can make beats forever. You can work on something forever. But he also said, you know, there are times when I listen back to this music and the songs on this album and I, and I still think, well, I could add this or I could add that. I wonder if yeah. you feel the same as a producer. Is there stuff that you listen to still now that you've made and you're like, well, maybe I could have done this. Well, I could actually add I, this. I, no, absolutely no. not. <laughs> I would I would never stop if I did that. Yeah. Um yeah. Um that that's that definitely not my uh I just try to, you know, I try to do things and, and put them out and not think about adding things things I could have done or, you know, yeah, that would drive, that, it, it, it already does drive me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have a cutoff. I get it. Yeah. I'm trying to find, this is what I was alluding to. My internet all of a sudden is like, no, no, I know I was working earlier, but that was earlier. There was a sample source for beef wrap that I found. Would you like a snack? Hmm. Is the name of the song? I think that's um. You like a snack? Oh man! <laughs> Frank Zappa. Oh man! So he used the music from that song as well as dialogue. Wow! But again, like that's a you know that's another layer because he's sampling music. That I mean, if you didn't know where that song where the song was sampled from, you wouldn't know that it was called you know Would You Like a Snack. Right. Uh. Then you look it up and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> like sometimes these things like kind of align on their own, which is always very cool. Very mm-hmm. ser- serendipitous yeah. is the word. There was also one, oh, a couple more things I have to um, get off my chest regarding this. <laughs> so there is a cool thing that Doom did at least twice on this record. Deep Fry Friends and Con Carney. So on both of those, he has like the sample finishing his sentences. Yes. Yeah. So like on Con Carney, he has the, you know, my love is, you know, and he kind of like wraps around that. And sometimes he's answering it. And sometimes, you know, it's uh, already there and he's like, you know, adding to it. So, yeah. And on Deep Fire Friends, you know, he's throwing, like, the Houdini lyrics in there as well. Mm-hmm. And, like, rhyming with it. 
Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I kind of wonder, like, what came first? Like, did he make the beat like that? And then was like, oh, I can, I can rap to this. Or did he, like, did he, like, hear that and was like, yeah, I'm going to do all this together and, you know, just happen to release it as an instrumental as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think he did that. I can't remember what song, but he definitely does that a couple more songs, a couple more times throughout his discography. I've always uh, liked when rappers use beats, you know, like, oh, boy. Like, you know, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Like, you know, just using the sample to, like, finish your bars. Like, it's such a cool thing to me. So, you know, we've been talking about the musical part of this album a lot. But I want to talk about, like, two things that stuck out to me upon, like, recent listens, uh, lyrically speaking. I wish I could have a working Internet connection so I could credit this um, particular YouTube review. But the way this um, individual broke down, like the, like the multi-syllable rhymes on some of these songs... You know, I had to pull up the lyrics to, like, you know, see for myself. But it's it's incredible to me to be able to, like, he can he just pretty much did whatever he wanted um, rhyme-wise. Like, he's like, oh, I want to rhyme every single word in these couplets. Yeah. But to then keep a concept going this whole time, I just find that, to be, you know, the work of a, a genius. Mm-hmm. Oh, one one line on this album that sticks out to me is uh, he plots shows like robberies in and out, one, two, three, no bodies, please. <laughs> because he's <laughs> he's basically like showing like he, he doesn't want anybody hurt even though He's like comparing a show to a, like a robbery, and that mm-hmm. kind of goes back to him, you know, kind of rapping about. He raps about robbery a lot on this album. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, run the cash and you won't get a wet sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. These, these are, you know, if my mother read this, she would be like, "Yeah, this is uh, a little hardcore here." <laughs> What's funny about that is, I, I think it's like the comic book influence it never feels that heavy in addition you know it's what i said earlier i've been listening to this and feeling like just considering how i feel when i listen to a doom record the comparison i found myself making was to stevie wonder like when i listen to stevie i feel a little bit lighter i feel i feel good i feel i feel something positive Mm. and when i listen to doom it's the same thing like despite the the kind of you know dark or violent lyrics that you're talking about there's something about the way he delivers it that's also it might be his humor i guess that's like light it lifts me in some way it's funny you should say that because um when i listen to him uh rhyme and you know you think about like doom's delivery you know he's very deadpan Mm -hmm. shout out to my man deadpan (laughs) um but you know he's it's like he's telling you jokes but with a straight face so you don't again you don't you're like you know, you can't tell that what was if that was serious or not in mm. some aspects. 
but um, speaking of like comedic timing, like that's a big part of why I love this album and you know Doom's music in in general. A lot of my favorite rappers make me laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. I find that to be like a very big part of the rappers that I count among my like top whatever. They have their own like sense of humor and you know, it might be like dark humor, but like man, you're you're actually a you know, you're actually a comedian that <laughs> can just rap really well. Like uh Billy Woods comes to mind when I when I speak about like dark humor mm-hmm. and, you know, comedic timing. Because yeah. you have to know like when to drop some of these punchlines. Beep. <laughs> Yeah, like the um, for some reason the lyric, the line that has stuck with me today from food is broke like a broke dick dog. Cut the L to smoke and thick fog. <laughs> yeah, I heard that and I was like, he could just say. I laughed out loud and I was like, he just said whatever he wanted to. Yeah, he also there was a very particular New York time period that I find when I listen to his music Mm. to take it back to my coworker who the one, the younger one, the 26 year old, I'm like, when I listen to doom and I sometimes have to look up, like, what is he talking about? I can understand why somebody much younger that this might sound completely alien to them. They're like, well, this is whack. I don't, what is he saying? Yeah. The ruckus ain't up to snuffleupagus. (laughs) Right. He had a knack for writing things like I can just tweet that one line. Like it's its own thing, you know, mm-hmm. fire at a higher rate. Why debate the liars? So he's changing. He's also like changing perspectives a lot. In music. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, again, I, when I first heard Doom, I was like, you know, I was just like, man, I don't know what's going on. I, I know it's interesting. <laughs> I know... It's it's unique, but again, it's it's a style that rewards the investigator. Like um, I remember when my roommate Matt was first playing mm, food, and I heard the line about DB Cooper. I was like, "Well, I don't know who DB Cooper is, so I don't. This doesn't make any sense to me." Then we look it up. You're like, "That's an amazing story. That that actually happened." And yeah. it was Loki the whole time. When you think about your relationship with Doom, what do you think has had a bigger impact on you as a fan? His lyricism or production? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I actually was thinking about that earlier. I would say um, when it comes to him, uh, it's one it's one entity. I can't even separate the two because... Mm-hmm. Like on projects like this, they're so interwoven. The two, you know, the two roles right. are, you know, are, you know, he's producing for himself. So it's like you can't um, separate it. So, yeah, both, I would say both in their own way. Like production style, again, the, the beatboxing angle that he, you know, constantly included in his music. Between that and, you know, growing up with the roots, and you know they had <laughs> they had scratch 
and they had Rozell on stage on for a lot of shows. So I always loved beatboxing, you know, in any in any beats. But not only that, when it comes to the beats, uh, Doom beats, but they're again, you know, being versatile enough where you can go from sampling R and B to sampling Houdini sampling weird, you know, rock records. Like, he was just so free with his style. Yeah. Like, he just, you know, whatever he heard, he made his own. And a lot of the times, he did things that you weren't supposed to do as a producer. Like, I, when I was a young Smalls, I used to sample drums that appeared in other rap songs on message boards. And, oh, my gosh tear me a new one for using drums that was from a song they liked. I always found it noteworthy that my favorite producers, especially when it comes to this, uh, Jay Dilla also did this, would sample like either well-known rap songs or, you know, maybe not so known stuff. But, you know, it, it just was like an... I think it was a written. It's in the it's in the like handbook somewhere, the producer handbook. Um, that you're not supposed to like <laughs> sample from other producers, even though you know some of our favorite their presidents by Jay Z. Right. Oh, when I, whenever I <laughs> whenever I read about that beat, it was like Ski was like, oh yeah, I sampled Tribe Called Quest snare, and nobody said anything, but. <laughs> There is a large segment of, of producers that would definitely be in their feelings. But Doom not only would do that, but he would tell you he did it. Like, yeah, I, you know, I sampled, um, you know, Cool G Rap. Like, so what? <laughs> Ding. I feel like we can't, I can't end this conversation without bringing up Mr. Fantastic. Does anybody know who this dude is? There is like some theory that I can't remember the name of the guy. But it, he's a rapper, and it's some ver, it's some like alter ego of this guy that has roots with MF Doom. It was like some fan theory that I read about the other day, but I can't remember the name of the actual person that is supposed to be Mister Fantastic. But it's, um, I think it begins with an R, maybe. But it was like a whole thing. Like the guy that wrote the article was like, I just went down this fucking rabbit hole and kept going and going and going and really couldn't get a concrete answer because all these people have all these theories. But the most mm. concrete one sounded like it was somebody in MF Doom's life that he had known. Interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, he has features on this and then what, King, King Ghidra, and then that's it, right? Yeah, he's like non-existent. I think that's it. Outside yeah, of those like he's on King Ge That's the only other project I've heard him on in yeah. this one. I love that this album is going to be what, 18 years old this year, and there's still a mystery about who this dude is. Speaking of uh, this song in particular, um, whenever I listen to it, I cannot help but think about that clip of Most Death, like rapping this whole song a cappella. Yeah. And... I feel like I gained an appreciation for it more because, you know, there was a chance for you to like hear the, like the, again, the comedic timing. Like when he says the, do you see the perpetrator? 
yeah, I'm right here line, and everybody in the in in the studio like cracks up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what a great hook! Yeah, sit in the court and be your own star witness. Not to mention, you know, I forget the label, but this was this actually happened, right? I feel like <laughs> somebody somebody actually was a rap snitch in real life, Kashi. Kashi six yeah. nine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, you could. Uh, I could literally go through like every song and find like you know these individual lines, but also this uh, you know attention to detail mm. where he's like trying to make. He's like, let me see. It's like a little kid being like, let me see how many like marbles I can fit in my mouth. <laughs> Let me see how many words I can fit together and still um, make sense. So you know that kind of um, attempt at like mastery <laughs> is definitely influential on you know me as an artist. But you know that's like how I would that's how I approach like beats on some level. Like I want to get so good at sampling that I can just make everything rhyme if I want to. Yeah, the attention to detail uh, on the production side, just going back to the, the samples, these vocal samples in the middle of the album is what um, has kind of blown me away recently too. I just I just imagine like all the time dedicated to tracking down audio clips of people talking about edible wrappers. How long, yeah. did, how long did it that. take him to find that? Yeah. It's incredible. I lost an arm. Stop it, father. There's, yeah, there's the comedic angle of the some of the samples as well well small professor you you have not disappointed with the insight and uh attention to detail in your conversation about doom and and food so thank you so much we appreciate it we need food thanks for having me again and uh yeah. rest in peace to doom yeah. yes big, big loss for our community and mm -hmm. his family first and foremost but you know yeah. we were family too we're all one family, and we lost a real one. But yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, great people. Yeah. Your uh, podcast name is located within a title of one of my next projects. Really? Called the Next Temporal Pincer Movement. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I got that phrase from Tenet, the movie. the The album is inspired by Tenet. Wow. It's all like reversing samples and stuff. But the next, you know, the next movement was also, you know, the root song that I grew up lo loving. So, You're right. Kind of my nod to that. So, yeah, got a it. podcast with that title. Sign me up. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, before we sign off, is there anything you want our listeners to know about where to find you, what to look out for, anything like that? Sure. I'm at Small Pro, mostly everywhere. Even though Small Pro is not actually my name, um, I get credits from Small Pro. But I've also always tried to em emphasize that I am actually Small Professor. Hmm. Um, FYI. But at Small Pro everywhere. And, um, you know, follow me on social media for random music discussions. And sometimes I'll even drop music. So, you know. A rare occurrence nowadays, so when it happens, 
just know that it was it took forever mm. and it didn't need to but i was very happy to actually finish something and you should listen to it because mm-hmm. you know it might take me another two years to finish a seven long project <laughs> thanks again for having me though of Absolutely. course yeah great uh great talk i think that uh i remember seeing the most of the physicals for Never at Peace are gone. I think I saw the Ooh, yeah. mini All discs gone. are gone, cassettes are gone. Any CDs left? Ooh, I think, I believe so, actually. Okay. I'm not sure of our stock. All right. Um, well, folks can check a, on that. The main, main man behind the stock department. Okay. All right. Well, folks can. Yeah. Folks can check on that. Once again, Small Professor, thank you so much. It's been a treat. Appreciate your time. Thanks again. Peace. Yo, I didn't start rhyming to send emails. I didn't start rhyming to take losses. I didn't start rhyming to make a spreadsheet. I only started rhyming to make a fortune. I didn't start rhyming to send rap chores. I only started rhyming to be on rap tours. I didn't start rapping for no Facebook invites, creating no ads with insights. I didn't start rhyming to make a mailing list. But that's probably how you heard this shit. By me. Started rapping and now I got a marketing degree. Ooh. I didn't start rhyming for no cosign. I've been on Nobright, I've been on Dope Boys, I've been on OKPlayer.com. And guess what? My life is exactly the same. I never call my rap friends by the government name. With me, they do the same. I started rhyming on a karaoke tape deck. I filled that Max L 60 minute tape with some fake threats. Just trying to get an Averex. Rap is something you did with your friends, yeah. Again and again, that's where my story begins. See, rap was always something that I did with my friends, right? I didn't start rhyming to send emails. I didn't start rhyming.